So yeah, good job by you guys. Uh, my name is Brent Fugate. I'm the senior pastor here at Byfield Parish. It is awesome to have the opportunity to be here with all of you today. I know that we have a lot of, a lot of families maybe that, that aren't normally here with us. So thank you for being here if you're, if you're coming with a loved one or maybe you're just somebody that lives in the community that uh, this, is, this is a time that you come together and celebrate. And we are happy to have you here with us as well. So we've all been dealing, we've had a little situation over the past couple of years. Since early March of 2019, much of life has been dominated by one thing. Some people called it coronavirus, others called it COVID-19, other people called it other things that I will not go into. Whether a particular person was worried about the health consequences of COVID or not, everyone had to deal with it. It affected our family get-togethers, our friendships, our school, our work, our jobs, and everything else. You're, you're probably like me in this, that one of my greatest annoyances over the past couple of years was just that every conversation I had ended up being about coronavirus. I would talk to a friend and they would say, how are things going at church? And the next thing I knew, we weren't talking about things at church, we were talking about coronavirus. I, I enjoy the Boston Celtics. I'm a fan of the Boston Celtics. And that was supposed to be something that was a relief, an opportunity, you know, just a fun thing outside the normal world. I swear, it, it felt like every Celtics player got coronavirus at least four times. These conversations were one part of life in which coronavirus was not just a factor, it was the main factor. Planning for the future was difficult. Many people commented that over the past couple of years, life reminded them of the Bill Murray movie Groundhog Day, just sort of this purgatory repeating itself again and again. At this point, coronavirus still exists, but it's no longer the factor that dominates every conversation as it once did. In recent weeks, I've had more conversations about Russia's invasion of Ukraine than I have about coronavirus. We are all in various stages of moving on when it comes to the virus. Some are still very concerned. Others are completely done. Everyone has to consider what is next for themselves after the past couple of years. Is the goal to return to life as it was pre-COVID? What do we do? How do we live now that COVID concerns are not impacting every area of life as they once were? Over the past several months here at Byfield, we have been working our way through the Old Testament story of God bringing the people of Israel out of Egypt, which is known as the Exodus. In their story, we see a precursor to the story of Christianity. We see connections to our own story in the present. In today's text, the Israelites 
are at the end of a much longer period in which their existence was defined by a particular situation. Coronavirus has dominated life for two years. For 430 years, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. In these verses, God frees them. Slavery is no longer their primary concern. They must answer the question of now what? How will they live? What will they do? Turn with me now to Exodus chapter 12, verses 33 through verse 42 is where we will read. So we can learn from their experience. Those verses can be found in the Pew Bible. They will also be projected on the screen behind me. That's Exodus chapter 12, verses 33 through 42. Hear the word of the Lord. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened. Because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night, is the night of watching kept to the Lord by all people of Israel throughout their generations. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. What's next is the question the Israelites must answer. It is a question that arises at times when things change in our lives as well. The transition Israel was dealing with in these verses is tremendous. We are experiencing a much less substantial shift when it comes to coming out of coronavirus. We still have to answer the question of how we should live our lives. This is a question Christians are always supposed to be answering. It is the question that the events of Easter beg us to ask. The realities 
of the cross and the resurrection demand a new way of living. We are a people who are supposed to be living out a radical change in our lives that has been brought about by the grace of God shown to us through Jesus Christ. How should we live as Christians? Like the Israelites coming out of their enslavement in Egypt, we must live differently than we did before. Today's verses begin with God giving the Israelites absolute victory over the Egyptians. This is a shocking result. If you, if you go back to the beginning of Exodus, the competition between the Israelites and the Egyptians was not particularly competitive. The Israelites have been slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years. They were completely under Egyptian control. When Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, decided to have all the male babies of the Israelites killed, they could mount no defense. The power differential between the two sides was unimaginably large. Even calling the dynamic a competition is a bit silly. It was a competition in the same way a high school football team playing against the Patriots would be a competition. The Egyptians were absolutely dominant. They did whatever they wanted to do. The Israelites, they lacked any hope that their own strength or power could bring about change. Back in 2016, the English professional soccer team, Leicester City, won the Premier League title. And this has been called by some, I know we're Americans, I know we don't generally care about professional soccer, but this has been called by some the greatest sports story of all time. And the reason is, is because the Premier League is the number one soccer league in the world. And Leicester City was supposed to have no chance. Before the season started, they were 5,000, 5,000 to one odds to win the championship. This means if you bet $10, the payout would be $50,000. A $1,000 wager would have resulted in a $5 million payout. Hardly anyone bet on the team though because nobody had any hope they would win. There was this one guy who bet 50 pounds or about $100, but he cashed out before the final results we're in. If there had been odds makers in the Bronze Age determining how likely it was that the Israelites would be victorious over the Egyptians, they couldn't have set the number high enough. Any amount wagered on Israel would have been money wasted. Egypt was an empire, and the Israelites were their slaves. The story of Israel in Exodus is one that has resonated over the course of history 
Because there are so many that have lived out their existence feeling enslaved to stronger powers without any hope for change. Most people can appreciate an underdog achieving victory in the face of insurmountable odds, some more than others. During the time when African Americans were enslaved prior to the Civil War, they clung to the Exodus story. They sang spiritual songs based on the narrative, which reminded them they were not without hope in the face of their own insurmountable odds. In the song, Go Down Moses, slaves sang out, Go down Moses, way down in Egypt's land, tell old Pharaoh, let my people go. No more shall they in bondage toil. Let my people go. Let them come out with Egypt's spoil. Let my people go. While pretty much everyone in the present world is better off than the Israelites were in Egypt or slaves were in the American South, there's just this general sense of being oppressed that comes with living in this world. It often feels like we just can't win for one reason or another. One of the, one of the phrases that gets thrown around a lot in our world is people saying, it is what it is. It is what it is. The statement is often a resignation that any hope the world will change is foolhardy. We want to be free from the constraints of this world, but we have no ability to bring about that freedom for ourselves. The Israelites had no reasonable hope for victory or freedom based on themselves. What they are realizing in these verses is that that hope that they had in God has not disappointed them. God is the game changer. The Israelite victory is not a result of their efforts. They did not all of a sudden realize an undiscovered store of strength, intelligence, or will, they are just as much of a liability as they have ever been. The Israelite victory is solely a product of who God is. The Egyptians were immeasurably stronger than the Israelites. God makes the Egyptian strength seem like nothing. There is no worldly comparison that can effectively communicate the distance between God and any nation. The combined power and intelligence of every human falls short of God's omnipotence. What does any of this have to do with Easter? I'm glad you asked. In Jesus' death and resurrections, Christians participate in an even more shocking victory than what happened with the Israelites over the Egyptians. People today 
all of us, we, we are often not aware of how hopeless we should actually be when it comes to our interactions with the fallen world we live in. Humans have no reason for hope in ourselves. The darkness that resides in our present world will grind us to dust. In some ways, the the wealth and privilege we enjoy as modern Americans is, is a disadvantage. It facilitates the illusion that freedom and victory are just they're just right there. If we, if we just reach a little farther, if we learn enough, get a good enough job, have a successful family, elect the right leaders, or achieve a certain level of health, then we will overcome. We will be victorious. It is hard for modern people to see that on our own, we have no hope. We have no ability to overcome the world. We cannot extricate ourselves no matter how hard we try. Our odds are not even 5,000 to 1. Human enslavement to this world is absolute. A dollar bet on any person to, to transcend the world, no matter how great they are, is a dollar wasted. Every person needs God to deliver us as he delivered the Israelites out of Egypt. He alone can overcome the powers of this world. He has done so through Jesus on the cross. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus lists a series of traits known as the Beatitudes. He lists reasons why people, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The Beatitudes make clear the gospel of Jesus is a blessing to those who realize they have no basis for worldly hope. Those are the people that turn to God. In Christ, God has given all who are hopeless because of the world's oppression a reason to hope. The victory Jesus accomplishes over the darkness that reigns in this world through the cross has two primary aspects Christians place their hope in. The first part of Christ's victory we addressed last week. Jesus is the Passover lamb that was sacrificed to deal with the guilt all people have through our association with this world. In addition, to every person being a victim of residue. On the cross, Jesus pays the price for our sin, for our involvement in this world with his blood. In recent years, churches have focused on this atoning work of the cross to a huge extent. 
This is certainly not a bad thing to focus on. Without Jesus' sacrifice, we could not participate in his victory. Our salvation is contingent on unearned grace. The second part of Christ's victory often doesn't get the same level of attention as the first. In addition to dealing with personal guilt, what Jesus did on the cross, it overcame the darkness of the world. In the same way God's victory over Egypt was complete, so is Jesus' victory over the world. The cross doesn't just extricate us from the guilt that has accumulated through our lives. It changes how we are supposed to live moving forward. Because of Christ, the Christian's relationship to the world changes. We are a people in transition. We are no longer slaves to the darkness. We are still in the world, but not of it. Freedom through Jesus Christ means we cannot go on living our lives as if nothing has changed between ourselves and the world. We are in the midst of an exodus. The Israelites realize very quickly God's action on their behalf has initiated a new life for them. It is obvious they cannot remain in Egypt. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. The Egyptians associated the Israelites with God whom they feared. Their concerns are understandable. The Egyptians are so happy to see the Israelites go, they willingly hand over their silver and gold. Christians in today's world will find ourselves having a similar experience. 2 Corinthians 2, 15 and 16 say, We are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To other, a fragrance from life to life. Christians who have been separated from the world by God are going to make those that are still committed to the world uncomfortable. We should not be surprised when the world desires some separation. There is no doubt the Israelites needed to leave Egypt. It is unclear where they should go. I'm reminded of a hit song by the band Semisonic that was popular when I was in my 20s. It's one of these songs that gets stuck in my head. One of the lyrics states, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. The Israelites know they can't stay in Egypt, but they don't really know where to go. They don't have a home. Or if they do, they don't know how to get there. This feeling 
is familiar to all Christians who gain freedom from the world. What is supposed to happen next is unclear. Those who have experienced the freedom Jesus makes possible know they cannot continue to live as they did previously in spiritual slavery, but it is hard to know what is next. For the Israelites, these verses are the start of an Exodus journey from Egypt, the land of their slavery, to the promised land that God will provide for them. They will spend the ensuing years progressing towards the home God has prepared. It will not be an easy journey. On the way, they will face all manner of privations. They will run short of food and water. There will be battles. At times, they will be their own greatest adversaries. They will rebel against God. Some will yearn to go back to slavery in Egypt. God will be faithful throughout all of these ups and downs. He will call on the Israelites to follow him, and he will guide them. The Christian Exodus journey begins when we look to the cross and acknowledge Jesus as our Savior and Lord. This is not where the journey ends. From this point, we progress towards the forever home God has promised us. We should not be surprised the journey is not easy. It is full of pitfalls. Many of our troubles are a result of our own missteps. We might be tempted to return to our own prior spiritual captivity. Freedom is hard. It involves uncertainty and struggle. Every Christian is in the midst of a transition. We are on an exodus out of this world. We've been freed of its constraints. We know there is a forever home we are supposed to be moving towards. It is this hope, it is this promise that drives us forward. On the cross, Jesus frees us from our past. Through the resurrection, through Easter morning, Jesus shows us our future. Death and sin have been defeated. Evil has been overcome. What now? What now? How will you live? Egypt, this world, still has its appeals. Even though it lacks any real power over us, this world can still threaten and conjole us. Is this where we will invest our energies or will we follow the Lord Jesus Christ? Will we make the tough, unknown journey that he has made possible for us? This is the question that Easter poses to us all. Verse 42 of chapter 12 in today's verses says, It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. Today is Easter. 
The people of Israel remembered the Passover as their night of freedom. It was the night when their journey to the promised land suddenly began. We remember Easter for the same reason. Through the victory of the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ has set us on a journey. Remembering reminds us to live out the Easter story of spiritual exodus from this world in the present. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we live in a world full of uncertainty, full of a sense of oppression that wears us down, Lord. And we are, if we are honest with ourselves, we are forced to recognize that we cannot overcome this world. That we can, we can only experience condemnation by our involvement with it, Lord. But what we cannot do for ourselves, you have done for us. You have made a way through Jesus Christ, through the cross, and through the resurrection, Lord. And on Easter... Throughout our lives, in that truth, we rejoice. I pray that as we are in this period of our lives where we are asking what is next in a, in a world where the past couple of years have been particularly challenging, I pray that we would remember that there is a much larger what's next question that we should be asking ourselves. What's next in light of the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ? How then will we live? I pray that this question would be real to us today, and it would be real to us moving forward in our lives. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.